Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I'm the founding director of the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington. We are uh, trying to develop a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. Part of how we do that is every single week here on Clubhouse, we bring some of the best product managers in the world and make their knowledge and, and community and expertise available to everyone. And then we put that out as on the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast, available on every single app podcasting platform that you could find. And today, we take different topics each week, and today we are talking about hardware product management, and we have two leaders in hardware product management who are going to talk about the metrics of success, the nuances of hardware versus software, and just any trends that they've seen in their careers. I have to apologize that we are missing our resident product expert in residence, Sumeya Benganam. She is normally here every single week, but had to miss this interesting conversation. So I'm flying solo, but I'm flying solo in the care of two brilliant individuals, one of which is a former student of mine at the University of Washington. Jake, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey in product. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jeff. Great, great to be here and uh, always happy to connect with you since you taught me so much back at UW. I won't say how long ago. Awesome to be here. So I'm currently in a role at Axon, which is the company that actually manufactures the taser as well as the body camera. And we have a virtual reality practice at Axon that is training law enforcement officers and public safety to better interact with their communities, to de-escalate and gain perspective with folks that they may not typically interact with, as well as to become more confident in their ability to use non-lethal technology like the taser. And so I lead our, our virtual reality training group. And as a part of that, we have all kinds of hardware as part of the normal tools that law enforcement use. So things like tasers and firearms, as well as expanding those into other peripherals to make sure that they work really well in virtual reality. And prior to joining Axon, I was actually a leader at HTC, which is a hardware manufacturer for virtual reality devices, where I led hardware and software prototyping in early stage zero to one, one to three year out products. So excited to be here and I'll, I'll pass it back to you, Jeff. All right. Glad to have you here. And not quite a former student of mine, but somebody who I've, I've gotten to see uh, develop as a product manager through the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator. So Charlton is our guest, and he was in the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator, which is working to build a more inclusive future. Essentially, we connect and you know give training, carefully select, rigorously train, and continuously support aspiring product managers who have demonstrated passion for a more inclusive future. And Charlton has really demonstrated a passion for a more inclusive future and is now a product manager. So Charlton, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey in product. 
Awesome. Uh, thanks for the introduction, Jeff. And as Jeff mentioned, I am still part of the IPMA program, uh, IPMA family, actually. And my experience in product, I guess currently I am a product manager for surgical robotics at Johnson & Johnson MedTech, um, formerly known as Ethicon. I work on our surgical robot for lung biopsy for detection of lung cancer. And I specifically own what's known as a, the bronchoscope portion, the hardware piece of that device, um, which is the tube that's going down your esophagus into your lung um, so that we can actually locate and take samples of any polyps or things in your peripheral lung. Right now, I'm currently leading strategy for that product uh, for the development of any new devices that we're using there, as well as we have an internal system that we're trying to upgrade for the actual supply chain and tracking of our internal metrics there. Prior to coming to Johnson & Johnson, I was working in marketing at another healthcare company uh, called Medtronic, working in GI space there, uh, similar product, working on a scope for your gastroenterology system, um, specifically your stomach, um, small intestine area. And thanks to the IPMA program, as Jeff mentioned, I've been able to make that transition over into a full-fledged product manager and work, like I said, specifically on hardware and here to speak more about it. Awesome. Great to have you here. Thanks for giving back. And yeah, thanks for being a part of the IPMA family for life. So both of our guests here are speaking only from their own personal opinions and, and not for their companies, as far as I know. Want to put that disclaimer out there. But generally speaking, I'm curious, what are the metrics of success? Like, what do they look like in hardware? The standard, you know, pirate metrics, the R, I'd imagine that they could be quite different. And so I'll start with you, Jake, and then we'll hear from you, Charlton, as to any metrics that Jake says that you're tracking or also any metrics that are different. So Jake, metrics of success in hardware. Absolutely. So anytime I approach a product, I'm always coming at it from a user-centered design standpoint. That's what I did when I was at Vive. That's what I'm doing when I'm at Axon. And so for me, one of the biggest things is making sure that the hardware isn't the main attraction. It's the experience that hardware provides. And so one of the big metrics that I've focused on, especially in virtual reality, comes down to a group under what I would call usability and comfort. And especially with virtual reality, which is a new technology that's constantly changing as kind of new tech matures, one of the big things we're always looking at is how does it feel? How long does it take you to get set up? And are there any factors that are impeding your ability to use the product negatively? And so one of the big metrics that we're always measuring is through user testing. How long the time to set up and to use the product. How quickly can you get in, calibrate if calibration is required, to make sure to pair a device if it requires pairing, like a Bluetooth pair, for example? How quickly can you just grab a device and get started? And so that's a big one. And then additionally, when we're thinking about how to make sure that the user experience is a positive experience, another big one is just what is the average session length when it comes to actual fatigue with the device. As some of you may know, with virtual reality, often there's controllers, there's the head-mounted device that goes on your head that some people call goggles. And you know, if they're too heavy, if the weight balance is not feeling right, then 
the average session length will go down because people are feeling fatigued, which limits their ability to actually experience the device. So I'll, I'll pause there. There's kind of two big things for me under usability and comfort. How quickly can we get you into the experience? And then separately, is that experience cut short because you're fatigued or uncomfortable with the experience? So just a follow-up question before we get to Charlton, if that's all right. How do you determine whether it's the hardware that led to that success in terms of how quickly you're in versus the software onboarding process? How do you disentangle whose responsibility and, and who's driving that? That's a great question. So luckily for me, I'm the single-threaded leader for both of those things. And we had the same thing at Vive, where it's so difficult to separate capital U, capital E, user experience. If we think about user experience, and actually I, I just was down in Fort Worth, Texas last week doing some on-site testing with a customer, and the customer doesn't, or the user doesn't really care whether it's the hardware or the software. They're just concerned about the overall user experience. So while we are product managers in the space, we need to try to break it down as easily as possible into small segments so that we can better measure and isolate the challenges and find solutions. Our customers, they don't really care. They just want to know whether or not it feels good or whether it was a burden for them to get into the experience. So what I would say is it's pretty difficult. And that's where really solid user research teams that can do qualitative and quantitative assessment come in so that you can make sense of the data that you're collecting. Very cool. And then Charlton, how does Jake's metrics compare to what you view as success? Okay. Yeah, Jake's metrics actually compare well. One of the metrics that we track, the, his usability and comfort is similar to what we call like an ease of use metric. And specifically how he mentioned the setup time for his actual devices. We measure that as well. We have an entire system that, of course, there are variations between each patient, whether it be weight, height, the actual physical location inside of your body, like your lungs are a living organ, so they're constantly moving. There's several variations upon that, and we have to adjust both our hardware as well as some of the software adjustments to make sure that they fit each patient. And we do a lot of demonstration um, testing, setup and teardown as well for our customers. We actually have an entire team dedicated that we call professional education that focuses on teaching our customers how to set up better, timing them, and how to tear down the device once they're finishing their procedures. So definitely say we align closely on that metric. Do have quite a few others uh, that we have. One of the key things that I wanted to mention about that is the portion that I work on is what's known as a disposable, that bronchoscope portion of our system. And as a business, we make all of our revenue on selling that disposable. The initial selling of the device, which a couple hundred thousand dollars plus, is usually heavily discounted with the hospital system or we do rentals as well. All of our general revenue for the organization comes from the reusability of those bronchoscopes, the disposables. So some of the key metrics that we track there are customer utilization, sales volume. I want to make sure that I see our customers who have systems consistently ordering volume for their cases that are coming into the hospitals. 
as well as we track the annual monthly revenue for for each customer. One of the other key things is our time um, on shelf. We manufacture and ship all of our own devices. We also have a return process that is built into the contracts with those customers because, again, our profit comes from the reusability of those devices. They use it, they send it back to us, we clean, reprocess, and then return that device to those customers for the number of lives that it has. Yeah, those are a couple of the other metrics that we're tracking, and I have more, but I don't want to go and take up all the time. (laughs) Sounds good. Well, we can get back to those as needed. I I do have one question. As both of you are talking about like the comfort and talking about the, you know, how long somebody could use the hardware before it's unsettling or, yeah. How do you build in inclusive mindset into this? Because in software, it seems like it's easier to create different variants so that you could meet the needs of different consumers. But with hardware, that seems like it's a whole other product. And I'd imagine that fit really depends on demographic variables, on body type. And so I didn't mean to put you on the spot. We could move away from this complex issue if needed. But just how do you think about not just building for the average and then leaving people behind when it's so expensive to be developing different variations of what you're doing? I can jump in on that. It's a great question, and it's a very challenging problem to solve in hardware. One, I'll give an example. So one of the challenges that we had to face when we're building one of the VR headsets is there's so many different face sizes in the world. And so there are great data sets that will kind of show you a standard deviation of different head widths, different eye distances. It's called IPD. And there's a lot of good data that will show you what the the normal uh, and what the standard deviations are of that. Now, when you're building out hardware, you want to make sure that you are creating an excellent experience for every single user. And that can be really difficult when there's such significant variation. So one challenge that we had to face with VR headsets is something called light leakage. So when you put on a headset, it's almost like a gasket around your eyes because you want to have a nice seal so that you can be immersed in the virtual world. And if the light comes in, maybe around your nose, because also there's different nose shapes, then that light can interfere with your immersive experience. And so I think the first step is to make sure that everyone is represented in the room that is making the decisions on the hardware so that there is no blind spots that don't get addressed. The last thing you want to do is ship a product that's not made for all of your users. And so making sure that everyone is in the room and can course correct early. So because, you know, if you're course correcting too late in a hardware cycle, you're going to have very expensive problems to solve as well as time delays. Additionally, user testing becomes so very important with each iteration of the product. And so at Vive, what we would do is we would basically, you know, we would do international user testing and the sourcing of candidates to to perform the user testing becomes really important so that you can refine and iterate on the product before it goes to production. So those were a few ways that we were doing it. 
uh, just on that specific project around kind of headset fit on the face, eyes, and nose. All right. Thanks for sharing. That's very valuable. Charlton, anything to add to that? Yes. I'd say that inclusivity is absolutely necessary. As Jake mentioned, if you move forward without that and you have to make pivots later, it can get extremely expensive considering these are are physical products that are being manufactured and the R&D on it is, the R&D spend model is quite a bit different than it is in software development. Uh, So it can get very expensive if you don't do that. The way we do it on more so of a, a medical device side is we have a couple different teams at my disposal as well. So you're speaking of inclusivity. I run a global product line. So for example, previous product that I owned were IV sets for delivering medication through your veins and using a large volume pump. So with that, it's launching in 18 different countries and the variation across those countries varies drastically. The way practiced in the U.S. in terms of the way the pumps that you are placing these IV sets into are positioned to your patient, whether they're on the left side or the right side of your patient, how high you can stack them. Um, That changes the distance for how long I need each IV set. Um, The type of drug that is being used, whether it's a cancer drug, whether it's a pediatric drug, things of that sort. So one of the key things we do are creating those various customer profiles, uh, making sure we know what needs we have for those individual procedures. And then looking across each region and make sure that I have regional teams, marketing teams in those specific countries that I reach out to and help advise me on any specific additional needs that they have for their specific regions. Again, that comes from also doing uh, user testing and a lot of demonstrations in hospitals across the globe. And once we compile all that information, we're able to then draw those insights and decide what the total length of that IV set should be. I actually ran into an issue about three months before launch where one of my product teams had brought me some misinformation uh, from a European region. And we were preparing to launch two new IV sets that we had developed that year with about 12 inches too short of length to reach the actual patient. And if your IV set can't reach your patient, it's useless. So we had to actually scrap that and go back to the drawing board, redesign those and release a few months later. All right. Fascinating. Yeah, I love, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to emphasize the financial reasons behind inclusion and fascinating to see you know, as, as we think about how expensive it is to do it, both of you comment on how expensive it is not to do it, uh, which I think is a, a valuable point. Speaking of what's unique and interesting about hardware, I would love to just understand one or two differences from each of you from what happens in product management in hardware versus software. And Charlton, I know your experience is primarily in hardware, but you also have a a strong network of peers who've been working to get jobs and have jobs in software. So if you're able to pull upon that and what you think is, is unique. I'll start with Jake and then we'll get to you, Charlton. Great. Yeah, I do think that there's quite a bit the same in hardware and software product management, especially if if coming at it from a user-centered perspective. I think that when it comes to production, there's just massive differences between software product management and hardware, especially in the speed that you can make changes and respond to new stimuli. 
And, you know, effectively, hardware product management is waterfall delivery with defined phase gates of iteration. But after every gate, you are getting to more expensive tooling and bigger, more expensive decisions with kind of less leeway. And so that's why I think it's so important to very early on for both product features in software and in hardware to do low quality prototyping so that you can truly learn whether or not something you're working on is feasible. Now, obviously, there's a lot of big, big things that you need to figure out, whether that's electrical engineering, mechanical, firmware, et cetera. But similar to both software and and hardware, if you can isolate the problem that you're trying to solve, you can usually create a low fidelity test that can test your hypothesis. So I think the biggest thing for me is just the ability to iterate when you can iterate, as well as the general production methodology of waterfall versus agile delivery. Charlton, anything to add to that? Yeah, again, say that I completely agree with what Jake is saying in terms of specifically the longer development cycles on the hardware side. It takes quite a bit to get to the market for the hardware portion, specifically in medical devices, even longer because we have a lot of regulation in the industry, specifically regarding your FDA and other governing boards of other countries. Another thing that I think I did want to point out which correct me if I'm wrong, Jake or Jeff, but we working with hardware, a lot of the components and componentry are developed from outside suppliers. And there can be major issues and disruptions in terms of the supply chain for building your uh, switched out what's known as an EM sensor, electromagnetivity sensor for the use of that device for a cost savings for the future development of our next generation. We learned halfway through development that supplier had cut some corners and the device did not function in our testing environment the way we expected it to. And we're now working with that supplier to move back to the previous version that they were planning to obsolete, actually. So we're having them unobsolete, if that's a word, the previous version of their actual device. And I'm also working with a competitor of theirs to try to backfill inventory for the device as well. So I think kind of management around the actual life cycle of hardware is different in that sense. Um, But again, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm sure there are multiple software suppliers that are used internally as well. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really great call, Charlton. Like the supply chain element and the the dependencies are a completely different animal. Of course, you know, there's different services and there's there's different types of dependencies in software, but in hardware, because it's such a stepstone each time a new technology is developed or becomes feasible, it's so important that the hardware and technology roadmap and feasibility is constantly monitored over the next one to three to five years because the cycles are so much longer in in hardware. And so you you end up having to to really keep your finger on the pulse of tons of different suppliers, global supply chain disruptions, as well as technology trends in 
kind of every single component of what you're building. That, I think that's that's a really insightful call out. So I want to switch gears. First, I want to, now's a good time to remind everybody, if you want your questions answered, that's why we're here. So if you're on the Product Management Center Slack channel, you can send me a message and I will read it live without attribution. You could also use the chat here on Clubhouse if you wanted us to read your question or if you want your voice heard and memorialized, immortalized. I don't know the right word, but if you want it stuck in the podcast forever in uh, to be famous, your chat at glory, raise your hand there at the bottom and we'll pull you up on stage. We'd love to hear your questions or your thoughts. So if you have any questions or thoughts, you have three options, the product management center, uh, click on that chat or hop up on stage and get them answered. And so while we're waiting for the audience to share their questions, my question is for the person, the product manager. And they're thinking, I know I want to shape the future of innovations, but I don't know if I want to do hardware or software. What is it about them and their personal characteristics might help them uncover whether they should go hardware or software? I'll start. uh, We'll keep the same order uh, out of consistency. Jake, what do you think would help somebody determine what the right path for them is? Sure. I think, you know, I, I like that you frame it like, from a person standpoint, because I, whenever I'm interviewing folks, I'm always trying to find out, you know, what kind of person are they? What's going to make them happy in their work? What are the things that make them stressed out in their work so that, you know, we can set them up for success? And one big thing I think about hardware product management is it really goes back to, to my comments on waterfall or, or linear thinking, where you have to get all of the requirements right up front to a minutia level of detail in order to be successful in a waterfall delivery. And I don't want to say that software can be a little bit messier. In my experience, it, it kind of always is because there's always new requirements, new priorities, whereas hardware often has a much clearer charter up front before you go into production, just because the spend is just, it's an outlay upfront that we are going to develop X new product. So we better have all of those details, even if it takes us a little longer to define them. So that's, that's a big one. It's just like, do you prefer to develop all of the requirements and then set that plan in place? Or do you operate a little bit better in chaos or with rapidly changing market needs? Charlton, anything to add to that? Hmm. It's an interesting question, Jeff. I guess having not worked directly as a software PM, I don't know if I'm kind of qualified to to choose between the two, but I definitely would agree with Jake saying in in terms of everything's more set up front. Also, if you want to do, I would say, more long-term strategy and PM strategy, that would also more so align with that hardware PM role because as you mentioned, it's it's more static. When I'm developing our product roadmap, I'm looking five to 10 years out and realizing that technology is advancing on the hardware side, but typically we're pretty abreast of what will happen and what's coming into development over the next five plus years. So we're able to kind of stick that down and stick to it. Jake, were you coming off mute to add to that? Yeah, just to build off of what Charlton was saying, I think... Again, going back to the human aspect, anyone who's trying to get into product management 
whether it be software or hardware, I think it's really important to, to kind of take a broad look at what your skills and experience are. Do you have experience in a different industry? Maybe you have a hobby that is kind of hands-on and, and you like to build things physically, and that's how your brain works, then hardware might, might be a great fit for you. And so I always urge folks that I talk to to kind of take a look at their whole self and ask themselves, like, where are my core strengths? And is there an applicable angle or something that I'm actually really passionate about or motivated about? And then just try to find something that kind of blends that passion and skill with that career path. And now I want to dive deeper into something that you said you've done, Jake. How could somebody who is in hardware product management demonstrate that they are ready for, I think you termed it single-threaded leadership, where they could oversee both hardware and software? So what would you be looking for in somebody's experience as a hardware PM to jump to that level that you said you've enjoyed at Axon? Absolutely. So I think there's often this question, like, what level are you operating as a PM, are you super deep in the weeds of a very specific thing? If so, great. That's a, a niche that you are the expert in. As kind of you manage more and more and more and more products, you start to see that there's different themes that are often coming up. And so I think that as someone becomes more senior in their career, they start to look at problems more holistically. They start to understand that, again, like going back to my comment of capital U, capital E, capital user experience, like it includes the hardware and the software. And so as a product manager, you start to ask those questions. And as you begin to ask those questions, you start to be become a thought leader in the room of both software and hardware. And you start to kind of draw the lines between all of those different disciplines. There's some tactical things that you can start to think about. You know, if you're working on hardware with things that do in involve technology, you know, you may start to be involved in conversations about firmware, which is a great segue into end user experience or front end uh, software development. So I think it's really about up-leveling your frame of reference for your product and starting to connect with those other disciplines. And that's kind of how you can elevate the contribution that you bring to the business and in turn, all of the products that sit under that business. All right. We now have a question sent to me that I've written down here. And then again, a reminder, if anybody here in the audience wants your question answered, drop it into chat, message me on LinkedIn, message me on the Product Management Center Slack channel, or raise your hand. We'll get you up on stage to share your perspective or get your question answered. But here's a question. Given the need to get decisions set in advance, can you share a little bit more about stakeholder management with hardware? So I presume that's, again, diving into the differences with hardware and software PM, but are there any differences or anything that's particular challenges as it relates to stakeholder management? I'll let either one of you go first on this. I'll try to tackle it then, Jeff. Again, specifically working in hardware, one uh, additional stakeholder that I know for a fact is going to exist is your manufacturing team. Uh, so whoever is your lead manufacturing engineer, definitely going to be a key person that you're kind of tied hand in hand with. Uh, they judge the feasibility 
of producing anything that is designed for that product. They need to make sure that it's actually possible to be built. Um, and they're going through the process of putting together the manufacturing equipment for to actually produce that item. There's also going to be the supply chain component. So we'll have a supply chain leader that you're working with as well um, to help plan out the actual distribution and process for that actual device once it's developed. Yeah, I think those are two very key additional stakeholders that likely wouldn't exist with the software team. I'll let Jake chime in. Before we get to Jake, Charlton, I have a follow-up question. Sorry, sorry, Jake. But with those different stakeholders, is there headspace and objectives? Or is it radically different than some others? Like, what is it that you're trying to, when you're trying to get them on board to your ideas, like, what is it that you have to be sensitive to? How are they unique in that way? So the manufacturing is going to tie back again to cost and spend. I know that's a continuous topic that Jake and I both brought up is the expense for producing hardware, but that's going to be one of the key things that is top of mind for that manufacturing team. They have a budget they've been allocated to, and that's going to be what they're trying to stick to for production of the actual device. And the other the supply chain team, I think one of the biggest motivators for them, it typically comes towards your launch phase. Uh, they want to make sure that they have stock on hand um, so that once you do enter like a limited market release or a, a full release phase, they want to make sure that you aren't short on product. Uh, so they're looking for me from the product and marketing team, a commercial team, to make sure that that entire process has been laid out and that I'm bringing everyone together on our team to make sure that the devices will actually be in stock when orders are being placed for our customers. All right. Very helpful. Jake, what about you? Anything, going back to the question about stakeholder management and hardware, anything unique to add? Sure. I want to support Charlton's comments. The There's more stakeholders when it comes to hardware product management and just bringing hard physical goods to market. And then I also feel like those stakeholders are also more directly involved in the product because they all impact the bottom line. And, you know, a couple examples come to mind. Charlton mentioned supply chain, but you also have things like physical goods, storage, shipping, documentation that needs to be added, physical documentation that needs to be added, as well as things like packaging. And all of those things affect the bottom line of the product. And so those folks need to be involved. They need to have a voice and they need, yeah, they need to be deeply engaged and, and they don't even really exist in software product management. So there's more people, there's more people at the table. And is there anybody that, I don't know how to word this in a way, I don't want you to give sensitive information or get in trouble with your colleagues, but is there anything that you just know is going to make them mad? Like, is there any stakeholder that's unique to hardware product management that you know, if I do this, it's going to really make them angry, make them angry. One team that, and this may be specific only to medical device hardware that exists that we always know is going to be an issue. We actually refer to them um, jokingly as the police sometimes. It's going to be your regulatory team. And regulatory team exists because there are different types of 
homologation that needs to occur depending on which country and region you're launching into, different standards such as your CE standard for launching in European countries, things like that where your physical hardware needs to be registered and meet these certain standards before anything happens, as well as from the marketing perspective, any uh, marketing collateral that I have developed um, that is going to be customer-facing, there are always thin lines that we have to walk due to the regulation around that. Can't make certain outrageous claims or anything that may be perceived as a false claim for our devices. So it's always pretty much an understanding that there's going to be some backlash there and you need to work directly with that regulatory team to walk around it. Jake, anybody else you kind of know what pushes their buttons? I mean, good planning is going to make everyone a little bit happier. And so changes are always going to affect folks a little bit more in the hardware space since, you know, anytime you change anything, it kind of affects the entire pipeline. One general rule of thumb, and I'll just group product operations in a giant bucket, which is, you know, your shipping folks, your packaging folks, et cetera, supply chain folks is that any time that you have, whether it's real or perceived complexity to your products, you're going to start to to get people frustrated because if they think you could have simplified the offering a little bit more, that really cuts down on overall work. And so that can include things like, you know, complex SKUs where it would affect everyone from product ops to sales because now they have to memorize you know, 10 SKUs instead of one SKU. But it also affects like your shipping folks because, you know, if you have to ship five products to fulfill every order instead of shipping one product to fulfill every order, then you're making 5x the work. And so, again, it's usually about making sure that those folks are in the room so that they can either understand why the decision was made or change the decision before it gets made. All right. So I've asked my questions. I've asked the question I got from the, the, the listeners at home. And now I want you. What questions do you have for each other? Is there anything that you want to know as somebody else's experiences are similar or different from yours? Or do you have a controversial opinion that you wanted to float? Questions or comments for each other? Sure. I had a question uh, for you, Jake. Apologies, I haven't had a chance to go through your entire pro- uh, LinkedIn profile yet, but Wondering, did you start on like the software PM side and then add in the hardware or were you hardware prior and then added into the software? How was that and how did you manage that transition? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I don't think it was very intentional for me. I just wanted to work on new technology. And new technology for me started out with IoT. And so it started off really simple with things like beacons or just simple, simple tags that we were doing prototypes with, with software. And so I've always kind of just been in this hybrid technology space because there was this idea that physical interactions with the digital could unlock these magical experiences. And so I've always been drawn to that space of IoT or kind of technology's interaction with our human experience or digital life. Uh, And so I think I've always just sought out those hybrid experiences. And then once I chose to make my life's work virtual reality, I think I was just fully embedded in VR, which is inherently 
both hardware and a software experience. So for me, it was all about just following my passion. So not a not a very uh, well thought out plan. Just kind of doing what what I thought was going to fulfill my curious brain. And now your curious brain has a chance to get another que- get your questions answered. Is there any questions that you have for Charlton, somebody who broke into product management last year, and as somebody who's in a different industry than you are, any questions that you wanted to float or controversial opinions? Yeah, I mean, I just I can only imagine how challenging it is to operate in such a heavily regulated space. Do you have any? kind of guidance or recommendations on how to navigate that successfully or kind of like gotchas when going through hardware product management in the medical space? Okay. Yes. I have a couple tips, things that we kind of live by. What we do, we understand that that challenge is going to be there regardless. Um, it's a necessary challenge. The re- regulatory piece is there to protect our customers. And of course, we don't want it to go anywhere. So what we do is try to work up front, understand which markets that we're entering and make sure that you're outlining what that entire regulatory process looks like for each of those individual markets. As I mentioned, we have our FDA here in the U.S. There are several governing bodies in additional countries that operate very similarly, but have their own regulatory regulations. So what we do is make sure that we are in tune with them. We have partners inside those organizations where you can have them sit in and set up meetings for consistent development along your life cycle, basically. Uh, one of the key things we do uh, with the FDA is every time we file for, it's called indication statement, meaning that we're indicating the use for this device that we plan to release to the market. Uh, We're assigned uh, specialists within that organization of the FDA, and it's up to us to get them as involved in our process as we would like, because they do provide helpful advice and guidance for that. But at the same time, you don't want them too deep into the weeds of your operations. So it's kind of balancing that partnership with the regulatory organizations that we know we need insights from. All right. We are almost out of time. I want to give both of you a chance to share resources that you found particularly helpful, either getting into product management, growing as a product manager, or anything specific to hardware. What are some resources that you found helpful? Yeah, I think the low-hanging fruit is definitely your organization, Jeff. I mean, the network there is pretty strong. So I would definitely stay in tune to the product management center at UW. And then I think more generally, especially if you're early career, whether you're in school or in a different field altogether, is reach out to people that have a job that you think you might want in the future. Build the network, talk to those folks, understand what they do. And building that network will really amplify both your understanding of product management, hardware product management, but also the types of challenges that people are facing and are looking to solve. I think that just the human element is always going to be your best bet when trying to break into a new field. And then when you are faced with challenges in your own hardware product management career, you're going to have other people to bounce ideas off of to help you solve problems that 
usually have been solved by somebody else already and you're just not in the know just yet. I'd add to that by saying, well, agreeing, of course, that Jeff's program at, at the Foster School, as well as um, the other subsidiary programs, such as the IPMA program uh, that we mentioned before, those are great resources um, to help expand that network. You are not only going to meet people who are current PMs in fields that you may be interested in joining, but you're also going to meet a bunch of colleagues who are in the same seat as you, who are looking to grow their PM knowledge, um, looking for opportunities to move into PM roles, things of that sort. So that network alone is you're actually becoming a part of the network of future PMs as well. Biggest resource that I think personally I've used is LinkedIn and being active in the community. I think I don't even think I would have found out about uh, the IPMA program or the Foster School of Business if it was not for LinkedIn. Once you immerse yourself in those actual communities that exist there and you're interacting with other people who are interested in PM, other PMs, reading their content, learning from it, posting your own content, things of that sort, it, it adds visibility to it and you end up building that network before you even realize that you are. So I would definitely say utilize LinkedIn as much as possible. All right. Well, thank you both for the kind words about the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington. We are working to develop a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. Part of that is bringing people together here every week on the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast and also the Inclusive Product Management Summit, which we host in the spring and the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator, which empowers professionals who will bring an inclusion mindset to break into product management. But I also appreciate those other resources that you've shared as well. So thank you, Charlton. Thank you, Jake. Now it's time to wrap it up. Any concluding thoughts? And if you could bullet point it, give it some nice tight takeaways that you hope the audience uh, walks away with from today or just, yeah, so what you hope they walk away with today. So Jake, we'll let you go first. Concluding thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. So. I think for me, it always goes back to user needs and understanding your user. Focus on making sure that their overall capital U, capital E user experience is good and is very well considered. That's the most important thing from my, from my perspective and will help you always stay focused when making prioritiz- very difficult prioritization decisions. And then my only other shout out would be that Axon is rapidly growing company when many technology companies are are currently reducing in size. And we are really laser focused on our moonshot goal of reducing officer involved shootings by 50% in the next 10 years. It's a mission driven company. And every single person has that mission deep in their heart at this company. So if you are interested in joining Axon, just feel free to hit me up for any job, whether that's virtual reality or otherwise. All right. Always a good chance to take it, uh, the audience and give a plug that you want brilliant people, mission-driven people to come work for you. And I also want to recognize Axon. Thank you, Axon, for being two-time sponsor on the Inclusive Product Management Summit. So every spring, we bring together students, aspiring product managers, and successful product managers of of many years of experience, all bring them together uh, to learn from the best about building inclusive products and managing stakeholders inclusively. So always grateful that Axon's been supporting that event. And connect with Jake if you want to get be his next hire. Charlton, any concluding thoughts you want to take, leave the audience with? Uh, Sure. I think 
concluding thoughts that I have are more so around if you are interested in getting into product management and you believe hardware may be that pathway, I think that it is a great bridge um, to use into PM if you have previous experience in some of those stakeholders that we mentioned that may not exist on uh, that software side. So if you have previous manufacturing experience, uh, shipping, packaging, supply chain experience, I think able to leverage that, uh, even if it's internally and working with your internal team for that product development cycle, it may help ease that transition into those roles. And outside of that, again, agreeing with Jake that it's all about your customer, centering around them, and inclusivity is absolutely necessary if you want to meet your business objectives and grow those business objectives. All right. Thank you, Charlton. Thank you, Jake. Really appreciate the opportunity to learn from you both. We talked about hardware product management today. We talk about a different subject every week on how to succeed in product management. And again, if you're interested in our goal to create a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community, we are hungry for volunteers. We are hungry for mentors. And we are hungry for sponsors. It's a free program, the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator. It's free because if we really want to diversify and open up access to this and career pathways to product management, then it is important to not just afford those opportunities to those who could financially afford it. So it's free because of our generous sponsors, Amazon, T-Mobile, Salesforce, and Starbucks. And we'd love your company, if you're out there listening, to join that list of companies that are really building a diverse talent pipeline and benefiting from that as well. So thank you again, Jake. Thank you again, Charlton. And thank you again, everybody who listened uh, here today on how to succeed in product management.